This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. One of my favorite Woody Allen lines of all time is, those who can't do, teach, and those who can't teach, teach Jim. Jill Conley can teach, and she can shoot with the best of them. I first met Jill in the early 90s, when we were both getting our careers going. Years later, she found herself teaching the very thing she loves, photography. We sit down and we talk about how she found and fell in love with photography, how she works with her subjects, and losing a pager. It was interesting, you know, back then we had pagers and I dropped mine in in the toilet and the boss was a a tough fellow, so I did not want to tell him, so I made one of the other photographers who happened to be a pregnant woman break the news to him because I figured he probably wouldn't yell at her like he'd yell at me. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from drone pilots, college coaches, and former Division I athlete, now Ventura Sheriff, Haley Pohavich. Because of the circumstances and my teammates and, and just the overall love and different atmosphere, I mean, I that first season was magical. I mean, I played every game. I I put I went from playing 15 minutes at the tail end of every game to playing 90 minutes being a starter. And I don't even know how that's possible. The rest of my conversation with Haley can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Jill Conley. I've got a New Yorker, a beautiful woman, and a photographer. All the same person. How are you doing, Jill? I'm good. When you say New Yorker, you got to make sure you say upstate New York because oh. it's very different. My dad did live in Manhattan, but upstate is upstate. Yeah. Oh, you got you got cows and green pastures? Yeah, pretty much. How was it growing up in upstate New York? It was good. It was cold. Snow. <laughs> better, better then than it would be today? I don't know. You know, I haven't been back lately. I went back um, when my grandma died, but I haven't been there in a while. Do you miss it a little bit, having real weather? You know, I actually go up to Big Bear when I want real weather, so it's pretty good. We have everything here in L.A. We have the beach. We have the snow. You have mountains. Yep, mountains, desert. We got it all. That's not bad. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) When did you find your infatuation? love desire to have a camera um i don't know you know i i first took photography in high school because it was one of the choices for industrial arts industrial arts yeah you know where you could do like wood shop or something and we had to do both home ec and industrial arts and so that's how i ended up taking photography we had a dark room and So that's how I first started. And then when I was in college, we had to take an arts requirement. And outside of photography, I am not artistic at all. I mean, I draw like a small child. So I just took it for the art requirement. So in the beginning, it was just kind of, you know, for requirements. And then in college, that's when I really, you know, fell in love with it. We had a dark room and I would go there at night. We had the key to go work, and I would go late at night. So one of my friends would come, you know, and hang out in the dark room with me so I wasn't there alone. And I just, you know, I loved it. Wow. Now, was there a camera around the house? Did mom and dad take pictures, or was it just kind of not a thing? 
Um, you know what? We have photo albums of pictures, and some of them are Polaroids, and you know, kind of the different generations right. of the disc camera and the one yeah, ten. Yeah, all that. <laughs> um, so we we took photos, but I mean, so just regular of, family photos, right? But none of that was like we're in a fatuation at like ten. You're like, I really like when my father's taking pictures. I want to do that. It was no, it was no, later. It was through school, yeah, that I really started to get into it. So what? What was the click in college that just was like, I like doing this. This is, or what did you go to college for? Uh, my major was communication. So I was actually doing broadcasting. I was um, the news anchor for our college station sometimes, and it would be broadcast like on cable TV. And Oh, this is natural then for you. Yeah, well, no, it was a long time ago. But so it was a small town and sometimes I'd see people and they'd be like, oh, I saw you on the news. And I was like, wow, someone's actually watching us. Um, but then I started taking some photos for the campus newspaper a little bit. Um, but mostly at that time I was just taking landscapes and portraits of friends and kind of, you know, the artsy kind of photos you take when you first get into photography. Right. Low hang fruit stuff. Yeah. Hey roommate, can I take a picture of you? Look, there's a cow. Take a picture of you. Yeah. Trees. Yeah. Trees. I found some of the old photos and I was like, did I really think this was good back then? (laughs) But that's the part of the, that you had no clutter in your head. You just took pictures. Yeah, now it was you're magic. Like, right. Now you're like, rule of thirds and sun, and it's got to be this. And then you're just like, pictures, pictures, pictures. This is great. Yeah. When did you start to then get a feel of this could be a career or interesting enough to you to like spark next level thought? Um, I applied to grad school for a few different things. I applied for TV. I applied for photojournalism. I applied for public relations. I still really didn't know what I wanted to do, so I was going to keep going to school. And I didn't really actually think I would get in for photography. I just kind of, you know, put some applications out there to see what happened. And then I got accepted to the photojournalism program at Boston University. And so then I was like, oh, wow. Maybe I could actually do this. I did oh, a minor wow. as an undergrad in photography. Right. I, I did two minors, business and photography. And then, so that was it? Are you, I mean, at this point, are you thinking, I mean, you're, this could be something? Yeah. So then I went to grad school at BU and um, I was. But is your heart set? Like, I'm going to be a photographer? Yeah, well, I mean, I always loved it, but I always thought it was a hobby. I thought it was so fun that I never thought, oh, this could be a job. Until I got into grad school, and then I thought, oh, maybe this is something that I can do. Nobody pushed? Nobody. There was no professor like, you're really good, young lady, take a, another course. Um, I mean, I was a photo minor, so I took, you know, all the courses, but it was, it was more of an art program. So okay. it wasn't really thinking job. I was thinking, I love this, it's fun. You know, I like to spend my nights in the dark room and my days taking pictures. Right. The dark room was magical. We said it before we hit record. It's yeah. the, it's the greatest introduction to photography there can be. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the students now miss out on that. Oh, yeah. They have no clue. We could talk about it. and We can say enlarger, and they have no idea what we mean. All the trays of fixers and, you know, the canisters and getting your film on and doing it in the dark. And if you had to shoot four by five or two and a quarter, that larger film you had to handle, it was totally different than anything we have to do today. Yeah. You know, I got, I think I got an SD card in my pocket. <laughs> it's like, that's it. 
Well, I've been taking pictures of you with my phone. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't have to light the studio. So after Boston, what are you thinking? Or during Boston, what are you thinking? Um, well, there, I mean, I worked a little bit on the school newspaper, too. Um, and I did some internships at small local newspapers. You know, the first one, like weeklies and stuff. And the first one, was, I think, was for free. And then I started getting paid very small amounts to freelance for, you know, local papers. But um, How was your photography? <laughs> it, was, it was okay. <laughs> it was publishable. Okay. It was acceptable. If you, if you had to put your Jill professor hat on now and look at it, what would you give Oh, your... I'd rip me. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that good. It could. could be a lot better. But um, I saw in the hallway of the um, at college they had put up a display that this woman did internship at the LA Times and they had this you know in a display case like her published photos, and so I was like, oh, that looks cool. So I applied for the LA Times internship, and I got it. And so that's when I came out to LA in the nineties. And um, it was back then they used to have a fall internship. Mm -hmm. And then they kept me on for the spring internship. And then I just stayed. I was going to go back, you know, do the internship and then move back to the East Coast and look for uh, a job. And then I just stayed. And I met my husband at the LA Times. And so now I'm an LA girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it frightening for you to think like your first internship? Is the L.A. Times and not like the New England Beacon or the Hartford Courier? Well, I did an internship at the Patriot Ledger in Quincy, Massachusetts while okay. I was in Boston. All right. So it wasn't my first one, but still, okay, so yeah, how was it that? was the L.A. Times. Right. How was that? Was there good guidance and mentorship in that um, first internship? It was interesting. You know, back then we had pagers and I dropped mine in, in the toilet and the boss was a, a tough fellow. So I did not want to tell him. So I made one of the other photographers who happened to be a pregnant woman break the news to him because I figured he probably wouldn't yell at her like he'd yell at me. But there were s some nice photographers there that I learned from. But it was also, you know, you're doing like five assignments a day sometimes just literally trying to get work done. Whereas when I went to the LA Times, it would be one or two, and you really got to work on your photography more, right. more than just do assignments. Right. But was that five, though? How was that pace for you compared to when you were in college? Was well, that it was crazy. Right. But it was a good learning experience. Yeah. I mean, sometimes being thrown in that very deep, deep end, you know, that's where you decide who makes it and who doesn't. Gotta swim, yeah. Right. Did you feel, did you take to that? Instantly, like, oh, my God, this is kind of fun. Yeah. It was stressful to get everything done in, you know, the amount of time that you had. But it was a challenge. Black and white? Yeah. When did you start shooting color? I don't really know. Yeah, I, it's kind of, it, 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 that's the thing people forget is for the longest time, newspapers were still shooting black and white for a very long time. Yeah, when I started at the LA Times, we still had a black and white darkroom actually mm -hmm. where I met my husband but um romance in the dark room <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a good um mentor um obviously yeah you know everybody looks good in that beautiful red light you don't know what you're working with until it arises from the tray <laughs> um yeah so there we also 
shot color, after a while, we ended up getting one of those color Noritsu machines mm-hmm. that we would put our film through. So that, while I was there, I did both. Okay. I still actually have a, a smock that has the LA Times logo on it, a darkroom smock. Do you really? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. That's gold. kind of cool, yeah. My schmock is long gone. I don't know where <laughs> it went. Kept all my clothes from being overly stained, just right. small splatters. Did you have little tools and pencils and your little tray of boxes of all your little dodging and burning? Oh, yeah, the cardboard tools. Yeah. Yes. Cardboard and paper clips. Yeah, wires and this and balls and shapes. and Yeah. yeah. They, I kept mine in a cigarette box with my name on it. Like, oh. Or a uh, a cigar box. Yeah. Yeah, because you needed to put them somewhere. Yeah. I think I just left them figuring nobody would steal them. <laughs> well, we had people rotating through the uh, dark room at the register, so we had to kind of change it up. Yes. So what was your coming out to L.A.? Terrified? Confident? No, I mean, I just, my mom and I drove cross country. Well, really? Yeah. I just thought it would be a fun adventure. How was that driving with mom? It was fun. Did you guys see? Is that your was it your first trip out west? Yeah. Did you see anything interesting on the way? Yeah, I mean, we stopped at all the tourist spots and took pictures and the arches in St. Louis and the Grand Canyon and kind of you know. Could have been a great documentary right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Could have started. Instead, I have a bunch of snaps of me and my mom. Yeah. Well, that's even better. Yeah. So when you come out, you're in L.A. What is your goal in your internship? Is it to impress them, look for a job? What, like, did you have any kind of thought, or are you just young kid just going to go for it? Yeah, I think just to go for it. You know, I didn't really, I don't think I knew enough about the industry to really know what to expect or. What advice would you I just knew it was a good opportunity that I wanted to take advantage of. Great opportunity. What would you tell young Jill now? I don't know. I think it went okay. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. You fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a documentary right there. Should be on Netflix. <laughs> what was your first assignment? Do you remember? No idea. I have a lot of things. Like, you know, every once in a while I'll Google my name and see, and I'll be like, oh, I don't remember shooting that. Yeah. I mean, you shoot so much every day that. Some of the stuff, I actually don't remember what the first assignment was. See, now you were, your internship that time was a really interesting time, right? 92? Yeah. Right, so you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I came after the riots, but before the Northridge earthquake. Right. How was that earthquake for you? That was kind of crazy. Was that your first earthquake? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, we lived in Redondo Beach, and we were working at the Valley Edition. So luckily where we lived wasn't that damaged, but we had to drive, you know, into it to document. What did you shoot? Did you, did you get into, like, the malls, the freeway? Like, there was stuff everywhere. Yeah. Um, I shot the guy that was in the Northridge Mall parking garage that had collapsed when oh. they were recovering him, and I still do not like to park in parking garages when there's an uh, uncovered parking lot available. Um, I shot a lot of people camped out in the parks, in the tents, and, um, you know, just all the damage. Isn't it funny how, like, you said that, and your eyes kind of, like, twinged when you say parking structure. Like, we see things, and they change the way then we 
are going to do things. Like you're trying to not find a covered parking spot if you have to. Yeah. Only because of an experience in which you got to photograph. I waited there for hours to see, you know, if they were going to get him out. Right. I mean, I can't even imagine what he went through. You don't cover that uh, that day. Your thought of probably covered parking garages are not the same. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and it wasn't even your trauma. You weren't even in there. You weren't buried. No. But you just had to sit for hours and wait for Yeah. Wow. Was your time at the LA Times what you expected going in? I, I, I don't think I knew what to expect. Just went for it. Yeah. So then you're going to stay. You stay. Yeah, I, I stayed. Love, yeah. love, love anchors you. You stay. <laughs> well, you keep rolling your eyes when I say that. Like. <laughs> I, uh, I ended up getting uh, a contract photographer job at the Times after the internship. And so I did that for five years. So, I mean, that's why I stayed. Right. When they, when they approached you, were you stunned about the contract? No. No, you just thought, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, Jim's good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what else do I got to do? <laughs> so what were you shooting? In, what what really then, at that point, as a photojournalist, was something you loved about that career path? Because you were shooting landscapes and trees, and now you've kind of guided yourself into photojournalism and not art or some other path of photography. What was photojournalism that really grasped you and you loved well, you know the answer to this. I mean, you're witnessing history. You're getting behind the scenes of things that people, you know, just see it, the front of. Um, I I like to do a lot of stories about regular people, too. You know, kind of people who've triumphed over things, people... Um, but, I mean, it's fun, too, to do concerts and pro sports and, you know, to kind of be there where... You know, other people are buying their ticket and you're behind the scenes. Were you getting better when you were younger? Did you see yourself improving? Oh, yeah. Whether it was working on a portrait, lighting it, dealing with your subjects? Yeah, I mean, I probably wasn't really good enough to get that internship, I don't think. At least nowadays, it's so competitive. Um, and I asked kind of, you know, cause I didn't really have as much experience probably as a lot of people. Like I talked to one of the LA times interns and this was her seventh internship. You know, it's gotten so much more competitive oh. now. And I asked someone, you know, kind of how I got it. And they said they had saw that I did a study abroad and they thought, you know, that would be an indicator that I was interested in the world and, you know, adventure and doing things. So yeah, you were Sometimes it's something you wouldn't even like. It wouldn't have occurred to me that that was why I got a photography internship. Well, you were oh, part of it. Yeah, but you were brave enough to go abroad, where some people just that's not in their forte. Like I'm terrified. I'm not going to, you know, to Spain. Yeah. So, so they could send you somewhere and not be worried. Right. Yeah. I mean, did they said did they send you anywhere? Um, I got to do some interesting things. I mean, um, not really sent anywhere. Orange County, Riverside. <laughs> right. The greater L.A. area. We're um, going to send her out to Ventura. Oh, I hope she makes it back. Okay. Right. They actually had a Ventura bureau at that time. Yeah. So I didn't even get to go to Ventura. Oh, there were bureaus <laughs> everywhere at that time. San Diego and, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, I was working at the one in the Valley, the Valley Edition most right. of the time. 
Um, I mean, a, I, there were a lot of great photographers there. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I did some interesting stories. Like I photographed a woman who was donating her eggs um, as an intern, or no, maybe it was as a contractor. And part of it, I think, is you know they wanted a female photographer to go. So sometimes you know that could be an opportunity. Um, I had done my grad school project about needle exchange programs, so I was able to do a story about that for the paper, kind of um, building on the contacts that I had made. So some, I did some pretty cool stuff. Have you, and there is those stories where there is just pure and simple, there's an advantage if you're a woman, right? Dealing with a woman who's donating eggs or certain things. Have you gotten very, have you gotten better at approaching your subject from a female angle and making them feel comfortable? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just approach them trying to be genuine, mm. and I think that resonates with most people. Yeah, because there's, there's certain things, like if you're just dealing with kids or, or women, if you're a female, it's just easier. Yeah, it's people, true. Right, people are just going to be naturally more comfortable. There's the mother instinct. There's less of a predator you know, creepy guy with a camera, yeah. big black box in his face. You know, like, what the hell's going on? I don't need this. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's just sometimes it's easier. So to send you or even today, if, whether it's a Gino or a Francine or any of them, like it's it's in your forethought of a photo editor or a director to go like, yep, send them. Yeah. It's just it's an advantage. Something I think about all the it time. It can be, yeah. So I think about it when I have assistants. Whether what assistant am I have that day? If we're going to work with a female model, it's easier to have a female assistant fix her bra strap, play with, do do with her hair. It's just a little stuff. Yeah, more comfortable. Right, just natural because there's a lot of adjusting going on, especially if it's on a portrait or a commercial job. What was your thought process long term now? By the early '90s, are you thinking I want to look for a full time position? Were you ever thinking about leaving L.A.? What was that process? Because when we're young, we're always thinking like we could jump. Yeah, I mean, in the back of my mind, probably I thought, you know, in the first few years that I might leave L.A. because I never planned on staying here, but. You stayed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you didn't have kids yet, right? Yeah. So like, you could have said. Oh, Arizona Republic, New York Times, Miami Herald. Wow, what what a wonderful offer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if I wanted a full-time job, that probably would have been smart to do that. Um, but I didn't. Right. Now, was there a thought you didn't want a full-time job because you liked freelancing, giving yourself options to do personal projects? I don't know. It's hard to leave the L.A. Times go to a smaller paper, I think. It is. But you're only contract to the point. So yeah. there is a difference, right? If somebody's going to say, hey, we're going to give you this, 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 and this. You know, you can jaunt all over the world. I mean, did you ever have a thought of working for Newsweek or Time or National Geographic or, or working even abroad? Um. Not really, I don't think. I mean, I did a few assignments for time, and right, um, which actually happened through the Eddie Adams workshop. 
which is how I, you know, I connected with the editors there. Did you enjoy that time at Eddie's workshop? Oh yeah, it was great. I loved it. Did that, what were you like from day one to the end? Were you totally different? Did it just like change you? Um, or was it gradual? I don't know that it changed me, but it was just really fun, really exciting, staying up all night, you know, editing photos with Annie Griffith Spell and, <laughs> um, you know, meeting Donna Ferrato, having her look at my portfolio, just, you know, people whose work I admired to be hanging out with them was pretty cool. Right. That always is helpful. Was there somebody at the LA Times you wanted to meet and work with, whether it was a writer or a photographer? There wasn't anyone that I wanted to, but there were a lot of people that I really learned a lot from. Um, Vanessa Hillian was one of the photo editors that I worked with, and she was amazing. God, I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, and then um, Richard Dirk was really a good mentor, and his wife, Annie Cusack. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that I really learned a lot from while I was there. And my husband. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, what... What was it like then dating a photographer, marrying a photographer? In the beginning, we didn't really say anything at work because, you know. It's work, right? It's work, yeah. But. Um, but you guys look at each other's proof sheets? Did yeah, you guys talk oh, about We We added a work? lot of, I'm, I'm pretty much, we always added each other's stuff, okay. you know, because we're right there. Right. Especially now we're working at home. <laughs> was, okay. there, was there competition? Was there, were you open to it? Was it kind of worrisome that he would judge you? You're, you're starting to fall in love with this guy and you don't want him to be like too critiquey about like, what do you mean you didn't like that photo shoot? No, I mean, about photography, not really. Because you know, photographers can be real insecure, especially having people look at their work. Yeah, no, I mean, we... We both give each other an honest opinion, so that's good. Now, it's one thing, because you're now a much more mature, solid photographer. As a younger photographer, how were you? I learned a lot, like Brian taught me lighting, you know, so. Yeah, because that's something photographers early in their career lack, because it's not taught very well in school, Yeah, is lighting, especially in portraits or just a scene. Yeah, and sports photography, too. How were you? Okay, so, and that's typically something you'll see the female photographer less in. They don't shoot as much sports. They don't find it as interesting. Did you find that interesting? What was the in- what was the interesting stuff for you? Interesting as a photographer. Yeah. Like, like I'm not really a sports fan outside of it, so I really just want to know about sports to figure out how I can do better photography <laughs> at sports. Yeah, you want to make great photos. Yeah, one of my. Best students, the best sports photographers, though, is a female. She kills it. She's at the Mercury News now, yeah. Really? See, that's... And she just, she was an athlete, and she just loved it, and she was just so good right away, and I was like, you could do this. Right. There's, I think it's, I think it's sometimes that women will get the short end of the stick and be like, oh, we'll give it to the guy, but there are some unbelievable women photographers right now Sarah's one of them, Indianapolis, uh, Ariel, the Yankees that are running clubs that are making phenomenal Sports Illustrated quality photography. Oh, yeah. 
that it's rare because the SI staff was only had one. Lynn was the only one on that staff. Yeah. Today you could have eight of the top women that are shooting. Uh, uh, Maddie uh, Myers over for Getty easily could have been on that staff. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make you proud to see women photographers, I guess, getting the, the exposure today that I think a lot of them kind of didn't get early, like especially like in the 60s or 70s, the 80s? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Because I think, especially when you look back at early photography, there's not a lot of female photographers that got, in photojournalism, got credit. They didn't get a lot of work, but there were a lot of great ones. Yeah, I mean, I teach a class on the history of documentary, and just besides sports, just in general, right. um, the early photographers, there weren't as many women, there weren't as many people of color. I mean, right. the early history is white male photographers. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And, and wool, wearing a fedora. <laughs> With a bag full of bulbs and four by five skins. Yeah. So... What was then becoming your passion as you started to freelance? Was it documentary work? Yeah, I really love documentary. I like social justice kind of stories. Um, but as a freelancer, portraits is really what you have to be good at mm -hmm. because that's a lot of the work. Things that haven't happened yet that you're previewing, things that have already happened that you're doing a portrait. So I also... I mean, I made an effort to get good at portraits, to learn lighting, to buy a lighting kit, that kind of thing. But what I really love is just documentary, yeah. Did you lean on Brian on that with the teaching you lighting? Yeah. Sculpting a, a subject, putting light on them yeah. properly. I mean, still, I'll see something. I'll be like, how'd you light that? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I'm not going to tell you. It's my secret. <laughs> no, he tells me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Those don't sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> no, just as a photographer. I mean, he's not like that. Yeah, no. no. Um, what what in documentary do you love? Like, what's your subject? Like, if someone said to you right now, here's a blank check. Where do you want to go? What do you want to document? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I guess I just like to document things where there's an opportunity to improve things. Okay. So kind of, you know, showing. Um, I went to the Congo for UNICEF, and that was pretty interesting because I was sh going for the nonprofit rather than as a journalist. Um, so that, w that was different for me because, you know, they really don't want negative photos. But, on, you know, you're at a feeding line and a child is starving, so it's not like you cannot photograph it. So trying to find kind of a sensitive way to show the problem, but also in a way that there is hope or there is a solution or there, you know, there is a, something that can be done. Um, How was your approach on that? What was your, did you have two cameras, keep, two, keep it very simple? You know, because there's a lot, that's, that's a really tough subject to photograph. yeah. Definitely, I just did one camera. Okay. Actually, one of my lenses died, too, and I had to have somebody ship me one. That was weird. Focus or just so it, what, just fell apart on just you? fell apart, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened to me before or since, just when I was in the Congo and couldn't really get anything shipped to me. Of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's not going to happen to you at Burbank, but in the Congo, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot just with one camera, kind of switching lenses. Um, now, why one camera, not two? 
mostly as a freelancer, you know. That's what you had. Yeah. One can one camera. Yeah. What's your go to lenses? Uh I'm usually shooting a sixteen to thirty five or a seventy to two hundred. Okay. Do you prefer a wide shot or is, do you prefer tight and get into your subject? Or is this kind of a what what play lays out in front of you? Yeah, I mean I like to shoot things up close when I can, definitely prefer. Okay. Was that Congo experience pretty eye-opening? Because, I mean, anytime you go into Africa and you're working, you see a lot of stuff you never would ever imagine, especially, you know, an L.A. person. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, as a mom, too, you know, when you see the kids suffering, it's definitely... Yeah, because you're a young mom at that point. Yeah, I think my son was maybe four and my daughter was like seven, something like that. Um. It was a little scary, too. Like, they give you your money, like, uh, per diem. And so I had all this cash. Um, so basically, I put it in my underwear at night, you know, like in a fanny pack. <laughs> right. And uh, I had barricaded the door to my room. Where I was staying, the guy would pull the couch um, in front of the doorway at night, and he would sleep on the couch so that if anyone broke in, they'd have to, like, go over him to get to the rooms. And I wasn't allowed to go anywhere without... Um, like I had a guy that drove me places and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just go to the store and get a soda or, or, you know, just walk out at all. I had to always have an escort everywhere I went. So I wasn't used to working. I was, you know, I'm used to working in the U.S. where you do whatever you want. You have First Amendment and (laughs) freedom of the press, you know. This is public, I can be here kind of thing. And it was a very different way to work. So it was definitely, it was hard. Were there some scary times, moments? Um, no, I mean, when I was out shooting, it was pretty good because I always had somebody with me. Um, Keeping an eye on you. But just, just being in the hotel, knowing that the, you know, the guy felt it was necessary to move his couch in front of the doorway was a little unnerving. And you're sleeping with the, you know. A bag of cash. Yeah. yeah, In your fanny pack or underwear. That doesn't make the most comfortable evening. Yeah, it was was a little stressful, but. Did you make the photos you wanted to? Mostly. Um. Yeah. I mean, there was, they decided it was too dangerous for me to go to one section. Like, they didn't want to be responsible. They didn't want to have a photographer go. So that was different. Because usually if you're with a news organization, you know, they're going to want to go wherever they can. Right. They would have gone. But they determined it was too dangerous at the time that I was there, so... That kind of an eye-opener? Like, really? Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's that... Yeah, even with, you know, my... Right. My uh, driver. Do you thrive on that kind of experience, that kind of adrenaline where stuff's kind of that hairy? That I like I like to shoot, yeah. I mean, I like to shoot stuff where things are happening. I've been shooting a lot of protests lately. Yeah, a lot. It's really changed. You know, when I started out shooting protests, it wasn't dangerous. You would just go and take pictures and the police kind of respected that you were doing what your job was and they were doing their job and and um, the protesters knew that you were there to document them and they wanted the publicity and now it's very different like I took um, the International Women's Media Foundation has a HEFAT course for hostile environment so I was lucky enough that I got to take that course. Um, When did you start to see the change? 
and a protest just, or a rally start to get? Just the past couple of years, probably. Last two years, two, three years. Yeah, kind of. Because I remember covering those things, and whatever you were wearing that day, you'd get out of your car, put on your film, get going, shoot. You knew, the, you knew like, the sergeant or, you know, whoever you had to deal with, see the protesters, you go back and done. Now... Like you gotta look. Uh, do I have to put on my vest? I have to put on my helmet. What yeah. am I taking? I gotta watch my back. Where am I parking my car? Because somebody's gonna watch me. Yeah, that was all the stuff that we learned even more. I mean, I knew a little bit, but in the course, we really learned a lot, like about specific bulletproof vests, which body armor you know they recommended. Right, because um, some don't stop knives. Yeah. So um, the chance of you getting stabbed is greater than you getting shot. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a different tear gas and all the other stuff you got to deal with. And, and that's the thing. Like it's, it's the people in the protest that could not want the media there. And it's also the police. Um, I mean, I was in covering one protest um, in Echo Park. And I ended up having a huge bruise um, because I was shoved by one of the cops. And it wasn't in, even intentional. It wasn't like, oh, there's a photographer. It was they were doing the kettling, and I was just collateral, you know. They go running through the crowd. You get shoved into a fence. So it's it's definitely you really have to kind of be more of a, aware now, which is hard because you really want to focus on the photography and, you know, the moments that you see. But then you got to kind of be looking all around you instead of what you're trying to shoot. Does that does that worry you that it's gotten so aggressive uh, that it makes it maybe more difficult to make pictures? A little, but I also feel like, you know, if people aren't there documenting. Because um, one thing I've noticed is it used to be the protest photos looked like protests. Yeah, it's signs. Very rarely though, were the cops like wearing their shields and their helmets. They were just kind of there observing. You had the, maybe the counter protest or, or you know, someone they're protesting against. Hell, it might have been a building. They might have just been screaming at a federal building. Now, it looks like you're a goddamn Beirut. Everybody's armed to the teeth. Everybody's wearing black and helmets and, you know, their masks and, the, and not just masks for COVID masks for being shot at the whole thing, goggles yeah. and all stuff. Everybody's got sticks and swords. Ball ballistic. Yeah, yeah, right. And cops are dressed like they're going to go, you know, defuse a bomb. And there's Jill standing in the middle <laughs> trying to make a picture. It's just, it's lost the protest. And it looks so militarized on both sides now. Yeah. That even the most mundane thing, like removing homeless from Echo Park, looks like, Beirut 81 instead of a small city in, you know, suburbia L.A. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to judge when things are going to turn, too. Right. Have you, you know, something kind of seems fine, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is not fine anymore. Can you feel it? Can you feel the yeah hair in the back of your neck stand up and go, oh, boy. Yeah. Has there been an issue where you've gotten yourself in a bad spot? I mean, not really that bad. I feel like it's been worse, like in Portland. It was some of the photos I saw were crazy. Right. Yeah. Well, that was night after night after yeah. night. They just spent and then days. Some of these states where they have open carry, where you see, I mean, mm -hmm. to me, that's a lot scarier. Yeah. 
Arizona, Texas, yeah, yeah, lots of places. What, when you're out there shooting, what is your mindset? What are you trying to capture? I'm trying to capture the moments. I mean, it really depends on, you know, the situation. Um, I'm trying to, to capture what they're protesting about, what the reaction is, the response. Who are you doing it for? Is that one step? Like if you're doing it for client A, you're like, oh, I got to tell a story. I'm doing it for client B. They just need a couple of pictures for... You know, Bloomberg News, whoever it is. I don't know. I mean, I kind of always shoot for myself, <laughs> you know, in the back of my mind, right? What I really want to get. Um, that, but J- it, that JC News media group, you know? That. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just, you know. But right, but there's always, you know, you in the back of your yeah. head. Like, Jill needs this. Jill wants this. It is a little bit different. Um, Bloomberg, I... Sh- like shot some abortion protests for, they're definitely more cautious. Okay. So a lot of times they don't want to put someone's name in the caption. Um, They want to kind of have it more general because it's going out on the wire. Okay. Um, And then sometimes I shoot stuff that's indicated with Zuma. And so they're not as cautious or conservative. So something, you know... Um, something might be published there in a newspaper in Europe, you know, that would have kind of different, different standards maybe. Okay. What was the, what was the first like protest that got out of control that you were kind of like, whoa, this has changed. Was that summer of 2020? May, that June? Probably, yeah. It just just is like you really have to be a lot more aware. I mean, I used to just be able to lose myself in taking photos, and now you have to really watch your back. Do you, are you all kitted up now? Do you have a pretty little helmet and body armor? And it it depends. Usually, I keep stuff in the car because you know one of the things they say is you can tell who came to protest and who you know came for some kind of a fight. Right. So I really don't want to appear aggressive. Um, you know, unless I really need. So most of the time I'll keep stuff either in the car or in a backpack and kind of just go with my cameras and see what the situation is. And then, you know, see if it's something where I need to pull out the helmet. Right. If you, if you're, if you park your car and 20 Antifa guys get out, it's kind of, okay, well, <laughs> Jill's got to go to work today. Yeah. Take off the loafers, put on the steel toe shoes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear the loafers, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like we were, we were driving through LA and you can see the, what we were like, like Fairfax and you can all of a sudden see guys getting out of the car. And I'm like, yeah, they're definitely not here to go to Cantor's. Yeah. They're here to cause trouble. So here goes the protest. It went from hooping and hollering to someone's going to start throwing something. Yeah, and sometimes it's surprising. I went to one, and I kind of thought, oh, you know, not many people are showing up. This isn't really going to be anything. And um, it was the transgender protest outside the Wee Spa, and it ended up being a pretty big thing. Right. Is that the – yes, that one got – that one did get out of control. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I didn't really expect it going there. Yeah. Are you, do you have a style when you're shooting it? Like, are you like to layer? Do you like to do the, you know, counter protesters, protesters on one side, cops, protesters? Like, do you have a, a feel? Do you ever say like, oh, I'm going to do this one elevated or this one silhouettes or do you have a style? Um, I'm sure I have a style, I guess, but <laughs> I try to do... Should we call Brian and ask real quick on the hotline? <laughs> I try to do all of it, you okay. know. I mean, I try to think of something different that I can get. But then, of course, you know, if there's some kind of news moment happening, you know, we're right. there. What is... okay? I this, try not to be lazy. Right, yeah. You don't want to... try to really shoot, you know, as many things as I can to be creative. Does that... Even if it's something mundane. Right. Does that parent in you give you a red alert now than you did maybe 20 years ago? Where you're like, I do need to go home. Maybe a little. Yeah. That's the weird part. Like, what would have Jill done in 94? And what would have Jill do in 2024? Like, kind of like, oh, I probably ain't going to get too deep into these two idiots swinging, you know, signs at each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get beat up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to, well, this scar came from a anti-protest stick upside of my no, head. Yeah. Not interested. I don't like staples in my head. I just want to take pictures. Yeah, I'm just here to take some pictures. <laughs> don't mind me. Yeah. How did you find yourself in 2003 getting to Brooks? Um, so my daughter was around, I think, 18 months then. Okay. And I was freelancing, and a lot of the calls I was freelancing for the AP, it would be like, can you be somewhere right now? <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely feel like you can have small children and be a photographer, but if you have a staff job, then you can plan your daycare, and, you know, mm -hmm. when you're a freelancer, it's like, can you be there right now? And it's like, oh, actually, no. There's one time, so remember when... When uh, Nick Nolte got arrested on PCH. So the AP called me and said, oh, can you go photograph? And I said, oh, I can't. You know, I have my baby with me. And they said, well, you're the closest person. It's Los Hill Sheriff. And I said, well, I'm at Babies R.S. in Calabasas. You know, like, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but you're closest. So I said, well, I'll go, but I can't promise you the professional work I usually do if I have, you know, an infant and a carrier at my feet. And they were like, try, because, you know, we're sending someone. So I went, and it was like, a, you know, a couple seconds where he just was walked in, you know, click, 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 click. And I had my daughter asleep in the little car seat, the kind with the handle, was at my feet. And then I turned around, you know, it was over in seconds, and then the AP photographer walked up, and I was like, here's the card, you know. <laughs> so it just got to be hard to do. I had another time where they called and they were like, oh, you know, we think that, um, I think a celebrity is being buried in this cemetery in San Fernando. Can you go there? And I was like, okay. And then um, I called my friend to watch my daughter and then I called her back and she was still at her house and I was like, why aren't you here? And she's like, oh, well, I'm showering. And I was like, no, this is news. You come shower at my house, you know? So it just got hard because if you booked a babysitter it was probably going to cost you as much as a day rate 
and then you didn't get a job, but then I kept having these jobs come up where I couldn't, you know, really get someone last second. Obviously, you want someone you trust to watch your children. Right. Yeah, not somebody you find on Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to start teaching because it was more predictable hours. So I met um, Jim McNay, and we went out to lunch, and he said, you know, do you want to come work at Brooks? And I thought since it was a photography college where people were really focused on it, it would be a fun experience, and it was. You know, Jim was a great person to work for, true uh, photojournalism lover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Three great years, right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was good. It was fun. Um, it was all male photographers besides me. So that was interesting. Right. All those brothers and you're the one sister of this group. Yeah. What was that? What was that like? Were they, did you, I mean, obviously you stood out. You had this big head of hair and all these guys are probably bald as can be. Well, you probably know them. <laughs> P.F. Bentley. Bentley yes. Rick Rickman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Guys, yeah. So guys without of, hair. A lot of really <laughs> confident photojournalists. Yes. So it was, it was Pewitzers interesting. and yeah. can use covers and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting, but I think, I mean, it was good, but we we're trying to teach the students. So, I mean, did you have any thought four or five years earlier that you would get into teaching or is this something that just kind of became an opportunity because they evolved? Oh, I actually started teaching because as a freelancer, you never know when your paychecks are coming. Oh, you yeah. know, you don't get any money for months and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of checks at once and it was very inconsistent. So I was actually on a photo shoot. I was assigned to photograph women community college presidents and I was photographing Diane Van Hook, who was the um, president of College of the Canyons. We're just chit-chatting as you do when you're photographing someone. And I mentioned that I had a was working on my thesis for my master's degree. And she was like, I need someone to teach color photography this summer. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I don't know anything about teaching. And she's like, it'll be good, you know, because I was taking her photos. So she was kind of observing me. And I was like, okay, I'll try. So, so that's why I started teaching just kind of as a side thing to supplement the freelance checks. Right. Because as you know, as a freelancer, those checks... Even though you did the job, you'll see them in three or four months. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, you just yeah. never know. That so was brutal. That was a consistent paycheck. And then I worked for um, UCLA um, doing workshops for their um, student photographers for the Daily Bruin. Right. And Cerritos and Valley College. Kind of just different, you know, side gigs. How was teaching? That early teaching? It was good. I mean, when I started doing it, I was in my 20s, so sometimes somebody would think, you know, I was a student, not the teacher, which is funny. Was was it natural? Um, I don't know if it was natural, but I've always kind of liked to mentor photographers, so that part I think was. Okay. Would you, how would, what was... Like your early classes, 101, yeah, introduction to photography. photography. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this end of the camera you look through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because so much of photography when you've been doing it for a long time is innate that you don't even think about it and to think about how to explain it to someone who doesn't know and how to break it down. Yeah. Simply. Explain F-stops to people. Yeah. The whole thing makes zero sense why we started a number <laughs> we normally do. You know, yes, it could be one four, but most of the time it's two five, two eight. Yeah. But then, 
it's two eight to four. Well, why not? Why, why, yeah. why not two to four and then four to eight? Because that's multiplication. Well, there's another theory that let me explain. <laughs> it should make zero sense. Yeah, and there's a little math involved. Like when we were at Brooks with our lighting class, we'd do guide numbers and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So to try to make things interesting um, and clear enough that people understood them, right? It's a little bit of a challenge. What were some of the courses early on that you really enjoyed teaching? Did you get into any like documentary photography courses or was it very strictly early on just 101 getting people to get their hands on a camera properly? Um, yeah, early on I started doing this stuff with UCLA. They kind of had weekend workshops for their staff. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, you know, kind of teaching how to do things for publication, um, which is what I do now. I advise the newspaper and the magazine and that's what I really like, kind of working hands-on with the students, making a publication. That's, that's good work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun. Was then your jump to, to Brooks, did that feel like you went up, like you from community colleges and maybe workshops at UCLA, all of a sudden I'm at a photo school surrounded with lots of talented young photographers, you know, because they go to Brooks to go to become a photographer. You might take it to Cerritos because it's just a requirement. Right. Yeah. I mean, that part was cool. Um, but then I ended up leaving to come to community college. Right. Then you came years. back to, to the community. I really like community college students. But you got out of Brooks before the collapse. So that was kind I did, of good. Yeah. Yeah. Before it then imploded on itself. Yes. But, you know, if you Which were, is a shame. Yeah. You know, if you were at like the Western Kentucky, Ohio, Syracuse, places, Rochester, where there's places where photographers go to go to school, you know, you, you, you get a different breed of a photographer. You get someone who's wanting to learn and just, they're going to sit at your desk and listen to everything you've got. We're at a community college where we're at now and you've spent 17 years. How much work are you putting into like getting these kids to understand what quality photography is? You know, in the I teach a, a history of documentary, which is a general ed class, and that's kind of more people are just taking it mm -hmm. as their art requirement. But the students that work on the publication, um, I've had some pretty good success. I've had I have a, a student that's at the Mercury News and the Malibu Times and the Signal, and I have a couple that are photo editors at the Los Angeles Times okay. and at NBC. So it's pretty cool someone who maybe hasn't had all the advantages of someone who's going to a private college specifically for photography for, you know, to help them get to where they want to right. their dream job. When you see a student walk in, take a class, can you now with the years that you've done this kind of look and go, okay, I could teach this kid. I could see they understand a little bit, maybe a week or two after looking at their photos. Or do you like finding that, that, that diamond in the rough? The majority of the time I can tell because it's uh, more about their work ethic and their enthusiasm and their grit necessarily than their photographic talent. Right. But a couple of times I've been surprised. Somebody who I didn't really think had it in them and kind of a, a switch clicked, as they say, and, you know, then they really got more motivated. And What do you try to do to get that candle lit? Is there something you uh, do? You have an approach now, with, you know, over twenty years in your under your belt, to get that candle lit for somebody to. Sometimes I'm a little hard on them, um, you know, kind of a little have high expectations. 
And most of the time that works because they'll rise to the expectations. Mm -hmm. Some people need a, need a little more nurturing, <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, giving them a high bar is a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're in here to learn. Yeah. To make photos, not take photos. And the last thing you want to do is like pat everybody on the back, give them silver stars, and then they go home and pff, it's crap. <laughs> Jill's yeah. got expectations, damn it. <laughs> high, high bar, high bar. What's the best, the, you know, going in now? So everything's different. Well, you and I learned film. Now you, these kids are grown up with the iPhone. They've had cameras their whole life. Or they've had more photos taken of them than you and I could ever imagine. Do you see a change from when you first started to now how these kids photograph and approach photography? It's interesting because I feel like they don't, understand the exposure and the light as well as we did um you know because they're not actually doing you know like we did with film where you're trying different exposures and um seeing the light kind of thing and sometimes the light just doesn't work out um but I feel like with the composition, they really have a good visual sense because they're seeing things so much earlier. So like on a technical, I think it's a little harder. Okay. But on composition, I feel like they've grown up in such a visually saturated world and photographs are everywhere. And at such a young age, they're, you know, taking photos. Right. You and I had to wait every either week for the magazine to arrive or every month for that big yellow, you know, National Geographic book to be plunked down on the desk. Now... I think I sit there and scroll for hours and look at more images and more examples and watch tutorials on YouTube than we could ever have hoped for. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, so, it's so saturated. Yeah. So then how do you get to them to explain shutter speeds and apertures when they're used to picking up their iPhone and the exposure is pretty damn close, but it's great crappy camera. Yeah, um, I mean, usually I'm not teaching the beginning class anymore. Okay. But um, I think just when this the situation is kind of bad, they see, like, you know, it's easy to take a good picture of a good situation, of something that has nice lighting or, you know, something where someone's very active. And when it's not a good situation, you have to be more creative. I think that's kind of where they really learn, where they have to make something out of nothing, or it's ugly lighting or, or you know... What's the technique? Very dynamic. Yeah. What's the technique you teach them and use, like to work with a subject? Maybe they're difficult, or you got to pull something out of that subject. What What technique do you give them that approach to learn? I guess I mean mostly it's just like not giving up. Okay. You know, like until you know you have something good. I think that's a thing. Like sometimes people will take something and be like, "Oh, well, it was." You know, no excuses. Like, yeah, it was ugly. But right. What did you make out of it? Kind of thing. Right. Is your approach when you're doing a portrait, what? Do you walk in immediately set up? Do you sit and talk to them? You know, how do you, how do you approach a portrait? And then that's how you teach the kids. Usually I kind of talk and kind of walk around and assess. Okay. You know, to find, find the best location. And then I kind of, most of the time I'll be doing lighting. So I chit-chat while I'm setting up. Okay kind of you know get the person more comfortable all right so my thing is i walk in with nothing no camera no kit no nothing walk in i'll sit 
maybe even 10, 15, 20 minutes, just talk, get to talk, communicate, get a sense of them. I always felt you walk in immediately, they're th- expecting like, oh God, yeah. is there a production truck behind <laughs> you? Oh, that's a lot of gear. So just get to calm them down first. I think a lot of photographers, young photographers, just come running in. Here we go. I I rented everything I possibly could uh-huh. from Sammy's because this is what I saw in the tutorial for YouTube. Got to have this giant octobank and this light and a grid and a blah, 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 blah. Slow down. Warm up your subject. Well, you're a good interviewer, so I feel like that works for you. Well, yeah, and I think I think a lot of times the communication in a portrait is lost. Uh-huh. It's, it's, you know, you're trying to get your subject to do something they're not used to have a picture. They're not a, they're not a model right? where they're used to, I, I have a good side. I know a bad side. I can do this. Like, and you're not her Brits where you're just like, I can, I can make magic out of you. You're dealing with somebody who's, you know, employee of the week at the you know local store. You're, you're a young photographer and you don't know any, you could be 20 and have no idea how to talk to someone 50. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn real quick. You know, and you might not be comfortable with it, but you better learn because you're going to do a lot of that. I mean, I'm sure you can name hundreds of thousands of assignments you've had where you're like, these are just meat and potato assignments that were given to me. I just got to get through them. The gold ones are the ones you always like love. You walk in and go, oh, (laughs) this is easy. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. What's your what's your nightmare assignment? Which which what which one you close your eyes and go oh god I remember that one, like wish I had that over again. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I had a real nightmare. Really? How in the hell did you pull that off? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> one where they didn't pay me. <laughs> okay, was that the client or the subject? The subject normally doesn't pay you. The client. The client, yeah. What, yeah, I mean what, anybody that I have to chase after for money—that's a nightmare. Assignment. What client left you high and dry? Oh, I don't want to say. Oh, I, I can name a bunch of them. They're all out of business. It's like, yeah, I think this was a bookstore that went out of business. Yeah, yeah it was uh, or either Success Magazine or Fortune Magazine, whatever it was, early 2000s, had me jaunting all over the country doing all this stuff, and I was getting all this work for three or four months, and checks were coming on time. Bang, 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 and I'm just great. And then month five, six, checks took 30 days. All right. Freelancer used to that. Yeah. Eight months in, check stop. And I'm like, "Ah, well, we still need you to go to Atlanta. We need you to go to Austin. We need you to go to this. All right. Well, you guys have been paying for a lot. Right. All of a sudden, nobody's answering phone calls. Nobody's answering emails. I find out they go out of business. I'm on the hook for like seven grand. That's not cool. Yeah. And there's nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Mine was a smaller amount. <laughs> Lucky. I do have wonderful photos that are worthless, but does me no good. Did you ever get into anything outside of 35? Did you ever want to go medium format for portraits or 8x10? Were you a tootler that goes like, oh, I want to try other things, different lights? Not really. I mean, I think some of the alternative processes are fun. We did we did a class one time in alternative processes that was fun but um, what'd you do? Like cross processing? Um, Shoot slide, process it, and we C41? did some of the yeah we did some cyanotypes too, just okay. different stuff, and then printing onto different surfaces and stuff. That's cool. 
Yeah, we had um, we did some projects um, where the with the Getty Museum, oh. where they were exhibiting the students' work on college night, and so that was one of the one of the ones we did. It was kind of fun. Some of the students like printed their photos on a glass bottle or kind of different things. When we're when you're dealing with subjects, is it something when you're taking that photo? Do you go in? Do you do a lot of research and predetermine what you want to try to get, or do you walk in and do all your determination, determination in the moment? Like, okay, this is what their house has to offer. This is what he or she is wearing. This is the lighting I'll apply. Or do you do a lot of back? I usually do a lot of research, um, but then I'm ready to move on the fly, you right. know, because you never really know what you're going to have. But I have, like, an idea in my mind what I might want to do or what I think would be good, and then I get there and be like, oh, yeah, no, that's not. <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's always. Both. Yeah. But I feel like you definitely need to research your subject. Yes. Yeah, I don't, and I think a lot of people You're don't. a researcher, you know. Yeah. Do if so if you're someone some someone comes to you and goes okay this is it this is all you can do the rest of your life is it documentary work is your heart so much into that that you could just do that forever yeah and travel okay do you <laughs> have you do you enjoy travel photography just kind of alone and just kind of capture stuff I like traveling okay yeah do so you I like travel photography. are you are you like a bad mom that way where you could just like leave everybody oh, gosh, and, be, no. and be like, I'm going to go take pictures. You guys go do whatever you do. No. I mean, my youngest, <laughs> I just uh, taught to drive last year. So after that, I felt like I really had a lot more time to do photography again. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Get him behind the wheel. See you later. Mom's going to go take some pictures. Yeah. What's your favorite places to go photograph? Um... I don't know if I have a favorite place. I mean, I, I don't know. I like to Will you to challenge yourself in seasons? Like go do snow or when it's cold or raining? Or do you always want sunsets and you yeah, know, palm no, trees? I've, I've gone up and done some of the snow stuff, yeah. It's interesting how that does sell and look better sometimes when it's frigid, cold, you know, Sierra mornings with a sunrise and stuff like that. Do you ever at all touch any of that? Um... Not so much the Sierra, more Big Bear Mammoth. Okay. Are you not, not allowed to go up 395? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we go to Yosemite every year on vacation. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You camp outside in the cabin? Yeah. No, we camp outside, yeah. Wow. Yeah, every summer for the past. I don't know how many well, except for the pandemic when they closed, but yeah. <laughs> Close apart, God forbid. <laughs> what, what, What is magical for you about that place? I mean, to keep going back every year must be something. Um, I mean, obviously it's beautiful, but it's always been fun. We kind of have a roving group of friends. Different people show up different years, and it's been nice for the kids. Right. Yeah. You could, especially if you got two photographer parents, there better be some pretty damn good photos. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen deer and bear and things you don't see in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> not, not at all. No. What does photography mean to you? Um, it's funny because when we were talking about this interview, I was like, I don't really have a good memory on some things. And I think that's it about photography. You know, it kind of helps you remember things, document things. 
bearing witness sometimes. Has there been a one or two memories, events you've covered that you will live with you forever? I don't know. I mean, there's so many. I don't know that just one or two really stand out. What's your top five? You want to do Letterman, <laughs> top ten? <laughs> um, okay, let's do the last five years. Then you've had you've been covering a lot of stuff in the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, covering the pandemic made everything hard. How did you cover the pandemic? Um, I mean, I did things I would normally do, but it was just you know. To get good photographs, you have to be close to people usually, and people really didn't want that, so that that made it harder. Um, you know, and being out at protests with masks on, I've always, you know, been very open about my photography, so to be out at places masked just seemed weird. Right. When you hear that shutter speed, that click, does that still, like, warm your heart? When it when it when it makes that noise, oh yeah, I love it. I mean, a life in photography is a great life. Oh, we're we're stealing time. It's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, we could be doing real jobs and I'd be miserable. I know. Can you imagine being an accountant? <laughs> <You're> horrible. <laughs> I tell my husband that I'm like, best job in the world. Oh God, yes. Think about what we get to do, and now yeah. you're teaching it, and you still get to be knee deep in it. I mean, that's got to be great. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps because my students see the photos and then they know I'm not just, you know, telling them right. some kind of BS. Right. Yeah, you're not pulling out somebody else's photography book and being like, this is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you see that? See the staples on my head? <laughs> sometimes I've I've gone out on shoots with my students or they're, they're documenting and I'm freelancing and, you know, we're out on a shoot together, which is kind of fun. And sometimes I've run into former students – you know, out on a shoot, so that's fun too. <laughs> Professor Jill, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, just getting rocks thrown at me. Yeah. <laughs> Normal day at the office. If you weren't, you weren't teaching or weren't a photographer, what would you be doing? Um. You can't say being a mom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm doing. I don't know. I'm doing all the things that I would be doing. No, you couldn't do this. Someone says, no, you cannot do this anymore. I don't know. Maybe some kind of social work or something. Yeah. Is that soft in your heart? Yeah. Because you, yeah. you do a lot of woman protests, a lot of things very much involved with women and children. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I mean, that's just the things that I care about. Do you have a large family? Did you come from like... No, I'm a small family. Okay, I was say, did you come from like 28, you know, <laughs> brothers and sisters and mom and dads that, you know, had you involved in this stuff? Or is this, are you just you? I mean, it's always been the kind of thing that I've been interested in. Um, yeah, I don't know. My dad was homeless for a while. Okay. So I, I feel like I've seen kind of a lot of other sides of things that people haven't maybe so, kind of a different perspective. Yeah. So that obviously shows or at least puts a, a different layer on the way you view things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've came here in the early nineties. Could you ever imagine what LA looks today, especially downtown LA? 
where where the you know when you would go into the big office in downtown LA what it's become no I mean it's funny because there was a while where like no one ever went to downtown LA and then it got popular right it really changed Staples Center moved in. yeah and now you know it got to the point where it's not comfortable for people to walk in a lot of places so it's gone through a lot of changes yeah no it's it's Stunning. I remember as a kid, I grew up here, so late 70s, early 80s, if you went into L.A., it was to go to the Palladium and see a concert or something like that, but you never went into downtown L.A. because it was a s-hole. I mean, it was just a mess. Yeah. Lakers move in. I remember Kavork saying when they moved into Staples Center, oh, we should get an apartment or a condo or something to buy it. They're like dirt cheap. We can all make a fortune out. We're like a loft. Yeah, we're like <laughs> kidding, not a chance. Right. And it was like two hundred and forty thousand for this, you know, loft condo thing. Yeah. We should have bought it. Right. <laughs> but, like you said, for like there was this window of like ten years where everything was moving into L.A. and it was alive, and there were grocery stores and people were coming, and now, no, not so much. Everybody bailed out. It's a yeah, mess. It's gone through some changes. So have you? Do you look at any of your work and, and you are kind of stunned on like the size of Skid Row is now, what's become of like, you know, Echo Park. I had to do a shoot in Silver Lake the other day and it's it's in there. It's a mess. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that, do you ever look through any of your stuff and go, wow, what the hell happened? Not really looking at stuff. I mean, just going on a shoot, you know. When you drive, you see it. Yeah, I walk a lot, so I feel like yeah, walking, that, you see it. Yeah. Walking, you don't escape stuff walking. In the car, yeah. you can. But when you, like you say, if you're walking four or five miles a day, you see a lot of stuff. And it's, I mean, it's moved more from Skid Row. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. It used, used to be kind of more contained. Right. It used to be a block or two. Now it seems like it's a county. Yeah. It's everywhere. All right, so you mentioned this. You mentioned that you are, you're, you're, you're more aware of your health and you're getting in great shape, <laughs> right? Is that something you wish? Because I think, I wish they would even tell us this early. We're going to be carrying all the stuff. You know, you're carrying bags, fanny packs, Christ, you know, carrying a 4028 for four days worth of golf. Your protest gear. Right, protest gear that used to be nothing more than a water bottle, which there wasn't even a water bottle in the 90s. And if you, if you, can you imagine showing up in 1994 to, to OJ's riot with an Avion water bottle? <laughs> now you got like this metal container with 16 stickers on it. Wow. Like, Actually, the Stanley Cups now. Right. Yeah. So are you are you taking care of your body today better because of the battle scars of all your youth, you know, carrying all that stuff around? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like it's more of a priority now. Um, you know, if you're shooting a parade or a protest, you may end up walking five miles or something while doing the job, which, you know, is easier when you're younger. <laughs> but then you got to walk four miles back. Yeah. To the car. Yeah. So, well, so now I'm counting my steps. So now I'm like, oh, good. I get to walk another four miles and this counts. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go to protest to get your steps in, I do. Jill. I do. <laughs> That's not. I count it. 
I mean, it does count, but you can't be like, Brian, I'll be back. I heard there might be a mild protest. I got to go get my steps yeah, in. Yeah, why not? Do photography and get your steps in. Yeah, and dodge, so dodge rocks. I've, right. I've been working with a, a trainer um, and walking uh, five or six miles a day because I feel like you're carrying so much equipment and you have to walk so far. And if you're doing travel things, like Brian and I um, – photographed the longest slot canyon in the U.S. And so that was like, I think we hiked for like 15 hours. So like doing these kind of physical things, I feel like, you know, when you're uh, not young, you really have to make sure you're focusing on, you know, being able to do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, because I see a lot of photographers, they're carrying extra weight, not their camera gear, but around their belly. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, that's you got to get that off. That wears on you. At the end of the day, you're fatigued mentally and physically. Yeah. You know, you're working for a client. You got to be able to give a day in your health and just being able to be peak performance. And you know, this. There's a lot of times in an assignment, whether it's a protest or any kind of thing, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour, nothing's going on. It's the back end of commotion. Yeah. And if you've been walking the for waiting, right? If you've been walking or waiting for four hours, yeah. And now you're fatigued. Yeah. And now it happens. It's go time, and it's all going to be in about two and a half minutes. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, you have to be in good shape to do the job. I did a um, a shoot of a pot farm for Bloomberg, and they were like, you know, can you get a high angle showing the farm? And so I asked the guy, and he was like, well, we can climb up this 80-foot water tower here if you want. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so you kind of have, you know, you never know what, what you're going to end up doing. Yeah, what's going to come about. Are you... What are your plans? Where, where's Jill in five, ten years? Um, probably doing the same thing I'm doing now. <laughs> Just making better photographers for the world. Yeah. Do you have any goals? Do you have anything you want to shoot and accomplish? Is I don't it, know. I mean, maybe someday I'll do a book. Okay. Doesn't every photographer want to do that someday? I, I think so. Yeah. How's your archive look? <laughs> yeah, I got to work on that. <laughs> Uh, organizing it, the archive is that is that so how much how much of your archive is film and how much of your archive is digital 50 50 at this point i'm not really even sure i mean is your film archive organized or just stacked no it's stacked yeah i have the same thing with i mean i have a my digital isn't really organized very well either i just have a box that has so many hard drives in it <laughs> Okay, but are the photos... That's one of my weakest areas. Okay. But are the photos, the digital photos, are they? do they have metadata on it at least? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I do the keywords. All right, good. All right. So you could be unorganized, but with data. I'm going to have you come talk to my class about that. Yeah. It's key. It's a major... You need to get ahead of it. I mean, I can't imagine having 30 years of digital files. And not being organized. It's one thing for you and I, we giggle about how much film we have yeah. stacked away. And that's a much more difficult process to find a scanner now that has the info fa- you know, interface that works with what Mac program, all the scan. That's tough. But to have 30 years of digital like some people are going to have, they've got to be organized right off the bat. Yeah. I've definitely gotten better with keywording. Yeah. She's using photo mechanic. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm sure that's what Brian's using. So it's kind of like yeah. a, use your color keywords, put it all in, get ahead of the curve. Yeah. 
All right. So the next time we talk, you'll be totally, you'll be totally like, all your film will be organized. Oh, no. All your- I'm not even going there. <laughs> all your digital will be done? No? No. All right. So, when, when, okay. So, what, put a date on a book. What? Eight years? Oh, I don't know. You don't want to do it when you're 80. I might. <laughs> Why not? You might be traveling. I there might. might be a protest to shoot. What, okay. I actually, there's a photographer out there who's pretty close to that. Yeah, well, uh, how old was Bill Cunningham? He was, he was out there every day shooting on the streets of New York, and he was, I think, in his 80s. There's lots of guys like that. I mean, New York kind of can give you that because you, you could just stay walk, in, yeah. yeah, you could stay in Manhattan and shoot door. all day and mm-hmm. stuff. It's kind of tough for us right here to walk to downtown LA. It would take us till, you know, three uh, three weeks. Too many steps. Yeah, too many steps. <laughs> What's your kit today? So you and I go out right now. We're going to go shoot just a good old portrait. What's what's Jill got in her bag? Uh, you know, I was hoping you were going to ask me that question. Well, no. Are you mirrorless? Have you gone to mirrorless? You no, stay- I have a DSLR, but okay. I'm looking at the mirrorless, and I'm, I'm oh, sure I'll get one. You're, um, you're looking at it, aren't you? Yeah, I've yeah. been trying to decide between a couple models because that's definitely what everyone's gone to. Um, I also... I shoot video with my phone, mm-hmm. so I don't shoot. I mean, I shot pictures of you with my phone. I don't right. usually professionally shoot with my phone, but I do shoot video with my phone. So a lot of times if I'm shooting a protest, I'll shoot the stills on my DSLR and the video on my iPhone using one of those Osmos. Right. Now, why are you shooting video? Just for more footage, more opportunity um, for the client, or is that for you? Well, like for Bloomberg... I shoot video for them. Also, it's B-roll, okay. so I'm not editing the videos, uploading the B-roll. Um, for Cal State LA, they've asked me to shoot like video interviews, kind of testimonial things. Um, and then for myself, you know, if I'm at a protest, a lot of times I'll uh, stick my camera on my hot shoe and kind of roll some film if things seem like they're getting a little squirrely. Right. Now, I saw that you were doing more work for Cal State LA. Is that fun? Yeah. It's good yeah. for your last client? Yeah. You know, um, Emilio is the full-time photographer there. Yep. And he and I met at the LA Times many, many years ago when he was an intern and I was a freelancer. Okay. And we happened to get back in touch and he was looking for a freelancer. So, you know. Good. It's always good to keep in touch with people. Absolutely. They might end up being your boss. Networking. It's huge, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't burn bridges. Make networks. Say hi to everybody. You don't know who's going to, especially when you're freelancing, who's going to pick up the phone, give you a call. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a fairly small, small community. It's interesting. I was reading um, some tips that somebody had for sports photographers. You know, I'm always like figure, you know, I don't know everything. You know, I can learn something new from someone. So I was reading and that was, you know, a few of the people were talking about building relationships and networking and they weren't, you know, talking about what lens to use, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you can kind of look up a YouTube video about a tutorial, right? but you really need to meet people and get to know people. Yeah. Relationships are huge. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. I mean, if you're not, if you're not willing to go out of your way, make relationships, this business, you have no idea who at one point can hire you, make a decision that you didn't even know about. Oh, don't call him. Don't call her. She doesn't get the work done or this or that. Yep. 
it happens all the time. There's not that many of us. Yeah. It's a small group. And usually everyone knows everyone. I mean, I was looking through your interviews and I know so many of the people. Right. <laughs> it's like we all know the same people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's the best part. I mean, you know, I could sit down with Don Barletti and he's going to tell you 20 stories about 20 other people that you can reach out and be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you mentioned me young. No, he's a Valley guy. Him and Brian worked together for years. Mm-hmm. What, what is next for your students? Is there any classes or anything you want to try to bring forth to them? Like, because I saw you took social, you took a social media certification at Dominguez Hills. Mm-hmm. Is that the kind of stuff you want to try to get them more involved in? Uh, one of the classes I'm teaching is a social media class, and then for the publications, we've incorporated social media into what they do. Um, you know, they're, they're shooting video for social media for their assignments and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, making a selection for Instagram. So it's definitely part of the world now. Isn't that crazy? It is. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was a photographer starting out, we would get our portfolio and it would be a print portfolio and you'd have to go to New York and try to meet the magazine editors and see if you could get appointments. And sometimes you couldn't get appointments. So you had to drop off your book and pick it up at the end of the day. And kind of that was, you know, how you got yourself known and and tried to get work. Um, And now, you know, photo editors are finding people on Instagram. So it really, you can't, you know, I know some people aren't fans of social media or whatever, but you really can't discount it from a business perspective. Oh, no, absolutely. I can't tell how many times I tell students, hey, listen, be aware of what you post on social media because that could stop somebody from making a call and asking you to like, hey, could you cover this? Yeah. And if they saw the night before you were shit-faced and hanging out in the gutter and you're not <laughs> like, eh, I don't think they're going to be good today. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to be careful about your post, but... um you know, it's really hard to not be on social media. Have you totally embraced it? Are you all in? I've embraced a lot of it. Where do you go to? What's your social media go to? Is it Instagram or you are you TikToking? Uh, <laughs> so far, I've been doing Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I don't know. I've been I've been looking at TikTok, kind of trying to figure out. I told my daughter she's going to have to help me, the expert. <laughs> Where, okay, so if somebody wants to follow you on, on Instagram, where are they going? What's the handle? Uh, at Jill Connolly Photography. Wow, God. Who would have guessed? I know. Yeah. I, I, I would have gone for something totally different, like the, the New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay, do you have your New York accent, or is it totally gone? Um, once in a while, people notice when I say coffee. Yeah, just yeah. coffee? Coffee, yeah. Nothing else? If you watch, you not na- usually. If you watch like enough Goodfellas or something, well, does it come out? Upstate New York is different. Yeah, I know, but still, you can get a little fury, and all of a sudden, the kids go, "Who, who's that in the house?" Yeah, I mean, I grew up in <laughs> Albany, so sometimes when I say Albany, people kind of there you go. There's just a couple words that how give often, it away. How often does Albany come up in a conversation? <laughs> people always say the drifter there. Yeah, because really, yeah. there's not like besides when someone asks where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been fun. Was it? Was it? Are you it okay? It was great. You're yeah. a great interviewer. No, you're a great subject. I know you're. You're like you're terrible. Bad. No, <laughs> this is fun. This has been fun. It has. I love what you're doing. I love that you're you're still knee deep in it. You're 
crazy as batshit to want to go out there and get out in a riot and <laughs> protest and all that stuff. And then you come back on a Tuesday and you're teaching your kids. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is unbelievable because you know this. There's a lot of people sit there and teach classes outside of maybe mathematics, which really don't need to change, that don't do what they're teaching. Right? And you're out there. Yeah, I think it definitely helps. Um, and for a while, when I wasn't, when the kids were smaller, where I wasn't shooting very much and I was teaching more, I definitely missed it. Right. I mean, you got a kit in your car, for God's sake, lady. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, there might be still, you know, some handy wipes and an old diaper rolling around the back of the back of the car with some AA batteries, but... Hey, baby wipes are good. <laughs> they are now, right? Yeah. Yeah, now they're way more important than when they were when the kids were younger. Yeah. You're the best, Jill. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jill. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.